We are doing a new Christmas series called, drumroll, <clears throat> called Cookies. No, I'm just kidding. It's not called Cookies. Uh, it's called Christ Miss. Now, I don't do the cheesy, like, sermon series thing except for now. This is the only one time you'll ever see me do this at Philippi. Um, I tried to think of something cooler, but I just Christ Miss. Uh, and our tagline is Finding Gospel Substance in Cultural Christmas. Okay, so are you guys excited for this? Uh, it's just going to be a three-week series. Um, we, we teach through the Bible. That's kind of what we do. We're in the book of Mark, but for three weeks, we're going to just pause and consider some Christmassy things, uh, and it'll be good. Um, Christ Miss, what's the deal with this series? Here's the basic idea. Uh, this is not a series where I'm going to tell you that you shouldn't bake cookies and have lights on your house and do gifts and stuff. It's not a kind of series where I'm going to tell you that if you rearrange the letters of Santa that you get Satan or anything like that. So don't worry. Um, I sent this graphic to Dana Hankins for her to put it on her Facebook, and she was like, I'm having heart palpitations. Are you going to tell me we can't have Christmas cookies on Christmas? And I said, calm down. No. That would be a sin. Um, those look like gluten-free cookies, don't they? Like, you got to chew them an extra 20 seconds before you can swallow. <laughs> I'm, my whole family is gluten-free except for me, so you can imagine what Christmas is like. Okay. Um, the idea here is we want to get underneath cultural Christmas, and we want to ask questions about what is the substance uh, that some of these traditions that we all enjoy, uh, where did those come from? What's, what's, the, what's the real um, substance behind some of these traditions uh, that we do? Uh, Christmas culturally has really become a synthetic, meaning it's, it's, it's sort of like we're trying to produce something through the right food and the right atmosphere and the right songs. But in reality, Christmas was never meant to be a synthetic. It was meant to be an organic it's something that we respond to because of something that has happened. And what has happened is the advent of Christ. Do you know what advent means? It just means that he's arrived, that he's come. It's the first coming of Christ. There's a second advent to come, and that means Jesus is coming again, praise God. Um, so we're going to investigate Christmas and think about what are the things underneath it and how do we uh, insert gospel substance into the middle of it. The three topics we're going to look at, uh, this sermon will be on wonder. Uh, next week we're going to look at charity, and the third week we're going to look at family. And so it should be cool. Uh, I don't love teaching topical sermons, but I'm going to do it for you guys um, just for three weeks. We will be in the Bible, though, so grab your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 18. The reason I don't like teaching topical sermons is because I'm not very clever. Uh, I'd rather just say what the Bible says. Um, yeah, there it is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this morning as we discuss the topic of wonder, we ask that your spirit would be present in this room, stoking and igniting and encouraging our hearts, Lord, to look farther for true wonder. Lord, to see the reality of who you are and what you've done. Lord, I pray that you would speak this morning. And I pray, Lord, as we commit time at the end to have some discussion together, Lord, as a, as a church family, Lord, that you would be in that time as well. That all of this would thread and mesh together, Lord. And that this time, Lord, would ultimately stoke our hearts to follow you more radically, to live out of your grace more abundantly, and to live for your glory, Father, in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We, uh, we were built for wonder, weren't we? When you were born, you came out full of wonder. 
I just remember the first time that my baby could start to see things. You remember that? Where they can start to like actually make out objects. I mean, I think when your baby's first born, they sort of, everything sort of looks like blobs, but it starts to become into focus. And, and, and as soon as they can see, their eyes are just wide open. They just want to see what is there to take in. We are born in a state of wonder because, listen, because a state of wonder is our most true state. We actually do not mature out of wonder. We immature out of wonder. We grow out of our most natural state. Brie Emil pointed out, we were in a small group this week talking about this, and she pointed out, I made a good point, that God created things, and then he put man in the garden. So man instantly was born into this world. Adam and Eve, our original parents, were born into a state of wonder, not knowing how the cosmos was created, wondering how the cosmos was created. And then when Adam made Eve, he, what, he put him to sleep. He put him to sleep so that Adam wouldn't know how he did it. He would wake up and have a sense of mystery, a sense of awe, a sense of wonder about the way that God created. It's a beautiful reality. Um, my son, when, uh, when, when he's six years old, and to him, everything is wonderful. Everything is new. Everything is interesting. I took him on a backpack trip this summer, his first one. We only really went about a mile from the car, but for him, he felt like we were um, out in like Antarctica or something. I mean, we, we must, like he had no clue that the car was really only a little ways away. Um, and at one point during the trip, I said, buddy, what do you want to do? You want to make a fire? Do you want to cut some sticks? Do you want to throw rocks at the water? What do you want to do? And he's like, uh, can we go for a nature hike? Like, can we go explore? I was like, sure, that's great. You know, so I was like, I'll tell you what, I'll just follow you and you go wherever you want to go and I'll, and I'll see, see where he was. So he's like, okay, so we start going through some bushes and stuff. Now he's only this tall and we start going up this little hill, right? And it was probably only like maybe 100 feet. We go up the hill and he goes, we just climbed a mountain. That was crazy, you know? And then we like popped out and I was messing with him. I'm like, look, buddy, it's a lake, another lake. It was the same lake we were camped at, but he didn't really realize that. You're like, whoa, a new lake, you know? Uh, just so full of wonder, so full of wonder. And I didn't have to teach him that, right? It's just, it's just a natural thing. What is wonder? What is wonder? Let me give you a definition that you can get off Google. Uh, a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration Caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, and inexplicable. Wonder is that feeling when something surprises you, and then you realize that you don't actually understand where that came from. It's bigger than you. It's transcendent to you. It causes you to want to look behind the substance and say, I wonder what's back there. I wonder what made that. What's behind the curtain? Wonder is the resulting emotion when one beholds a reality that is too large to comprehend. I, uh, this summer, I went to Yosemite. Anybody ever went to Yosemite Valley? And uh, I climbed up Half Dome, and it's, it's wonderful up there because you literally can't, your brain can't take in all of the scenery. It's 360 degrees of sheer rock and beauty and contrast in the blue sky with the green valley and the river through. And your brain is like, it like fries itself trying to see all of the detail. And you're left with nothing but wonder. They're just, you're just stunned with wonder. Or when you're laying on your back out in, in the middle of a field on a clear night and you're looking at all the stars and you can't even get your head around how many stars there are, that feeling, that emotion that comes, it's wonder. It's the transcendence of there is something so much bigger than me. 
And isn't it amazing that those moments sometimes are the moments we have the most clarity? We go, oh, it's not about me. It's brilliant. Wonder is the metaphysical sense that endears the soul to the unknown or the undiscovered or the not yet experienced, the thing behind the curtain. Think about music. Doesn't music create wonder in you sometimes? Like you hear an orchestra and all the notes are just right and everything is just in its right place and it just inspires this wonder. Why does it inspire wonder in you? Because you don't understand why those notes go together. Who said they went together? What's the scientific naturalistic explanation for music? There is none. Why does music music? Why do certain notes go with certain notes? I wonder. (laughs) I don't know. But music makes me wonder. I remember the first time I held my daughter in my, my hands. And there's something about your first kid. You don't love them more than your other kids. But uh, there's something about your first baby. And you're just holding them and you're hearing their, and you're feeling their heartbeat. And you're feeling their warmth. And you're looking at this baby and you're thinking, this represents something so much bigger than a bunch of cells. This, there is a, a life behind this an eternality behind this, a substance behind this that, that I, oftentimes people come to Christ when they have kids because the imago Dei, the image of God, is so strongly imprinted in a human being that just beholding one makes you want to look behind it. What made this, right? That's why we value human life so much. That's why Satan hates human life so much. People spend billions of dollars on space travel. Why? Wonder, what's out there? We all know there's something bigger than us. Wonder is a very human thing. It's a soulish thing, isn't it? Listen to what Albert Einstein said. Probably the first time I've ever quoted Albert Einstein, uh, but here you go. Uh, the, mu- the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. It is the source of all true art and science. He to whom the emotion is a stranger who can no longer pursue to wonder and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. Now, what does wonder have to do with Christmas? Well, when you're a child, you lay in your bed. Maybe this was just me. But you lay in your bed Christmas Eve and you can't sleep. Why? Because you're full of wonder. I wonder what tomorrow's going to be. I wonder what's in my presence. I mean, there's just this, ma- this the, the world uses the, the term magical, right? Because, uh, because they like that better. Uh, it's this magical feeling of, of wonder. And Christmas is synonymous oftentimes with wonder. It's just something that goes with it. Now, here's the problem. That's all great. But here's the problem. The problem is that we have lost our wonder. We lose it as we grow, don't we? Our wonder calcifies. It becomes covered over with layers and layers and layers of disappointment and disillusionment. My kids, they don't really have enough understanding of the natural world to know when something is make-believe and when it's real. And my daughter, particularly my four-year-old now, she often asks me when we're watching a show, she says, Daddy, is this real? And I say, well, that's an interesting question. It's really people acting. <laughs> But no, you know, we were watching, we're watching make-believe movies or something. Is this real? Are there really unicorns? Are there really dragons? Are they? And, and for her, all I would have to, to do is say, yes, there are, and she would believe me. Because for her, she's so aware. She's so tuned in to the fact that there is transcendence. There is something beyond the natural. Unfortunately, we start to grow out of that, don't we? 
We grow out of it because life has a way of beating it out of us. We grow out of it because we start to realize that life is not what we hoped or thought it could be. But that's not because those things couldn't be real or because there couldn't be something bigger. It's because we live in a Genesis chapter 3 world, a world that is broken, a world that is fallen. And we grow, but we don't grow the way we're supposed to. We grow in a twisted fashion. Have you ever noticed a tree that grew um, out of something and it had to go around a boulder? I've seen, when I go out in the woods, I see oftentimes these trees that are all twisted and mangled. And they grew, they, they continued to grow, but they grew in a contorted way. They grew in the wrong way because something was blocking them. As adults, we grow up, but we grow up twisted. We grow up twisted because we only know a fallen world. We only know a fallen universe. So even though we have this sense still that there's something beyond this world, we grow up to become jaded adults that say this is all there is. It's kind of a sad state of wonder lost, if I can use that term, wonder lost. Like the dripping of a stalagmite, over time, we calcify our wonder and it becomes covered. And we grow up into the immaturity of unbelief. And Jesus came into a world that was overtaken by the immaturity of unbelief. It's not that they didn't believe in supernatural, but their their um, their perspective, their worldview had been twisted and broken. When Romans chapter 1 says that, that man's chiefest sin is that we worship the creation instead of the creator, you know what that is? That's wonder lost. We worship creation because we start to believe that there's nothing better. We worship what God made because we start to not believe that there's someone that made it. And so therefore creation itself must be all there is. We start to worship that instead. It's idolatry. But the reality is that wonder has left a mark on you. There is a wonder mark on you. It's something in you, it's something within you in your subconscious that tells you that there's something more. Uh, oftentimes when I'm evangelizing or I'm talking to non-believers, I try to appeal to this. There's something in you that knows that there's more than what you know. There's a sense that you have that there's, there's something beyond what you've experienced. It's a wonder mark. There's a mark on you. There's a, uh, God has left his mark of transcendence on you. Listen to what Richard Beck says. He says, here and there in this secular age, we also experience updrafts of transcendence, a pull towards the heavens. We're interrupted by wonder and awe. We're surprised by joy. We experience a deep-seated ache and yearning. A feeling of restlessness, a longing for home. Listen to this. Even in an age of particle physics and brain scans, we still bump into the magic from time to time, still experience the enchantment of the world. We're skeptical and scientific people, yes, but we're also haunted by the suspicion that the universe is more than the sum of its subatomic particles. Everyone, if they're being honest with themselves, knows that wonder has left a mark on them that there are things we cannot explain, that you were made for something more. The divine imprint has been left on you. God's eternality has left a hole in you that only an eternal being can fill. This sense of wonder reminds us of that. And Christmas is perhaps one of the greatest reminders every year that we long for wonder. We spend billions of dollars trying to synthesize the wonder that we once experienced organically as children. I, maybe I'm the only one, I don't know, but every Christmas I, I get a little excited and I get a little disappointed 
because I remember Christmases when I was a kid. And I remember the wonder and the excitement. And then Christmas comes, and I go, oh, it's just not the same. But even if we're being honest, when we were kids, the most disappointing day of the entire year was what? The day after Christmas. Because you realize it came, and it didn't satisfy you. It didn't fulfill you. So the question, guys, that we're going to ask here is how do we restore our wonder? How do we restore our wonder? How do we go back and have true wonder? Not the kind of wonder that a synthetic Christmas can produce. How do we go back and get true wonder? Wonder itself is not enough to direct us towards truth. Human sense of wonder leads people into all kinds of crazy, crazy weird spirituality, into all kinds of occult magic and false religion, aliens, conspiracy theories, you name it. Our, our desire for wonder doesn't automatically lead us into the truth. How do we get to true wonder? Well, that's the question we're going to wrestle with. And so if you're in your Bible, Matthew chapter 18, I think Jesus answers this question. Uh, so we're going to take a look at this. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The ch then children were brought to him that he might lay hands. Now, I'm skipping actually to Matthew 19. There's a second account where we get a very similar thing here. Matthew 19, verse 13. Second account. Then children were brought to him that he may lay hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but said to Jesus, let the or, but Jesus said, pardon me, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. And then note it, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. There's something about childlikeness that Jesus is trying to put forth before the disciples as a lesson here. The disciples are coming to Jesus and they have a question about kingdom economics. Who is the greatest in your kingdom, Jesus? Now, of course, they're thinking about the kingdom to come, the kingdom that they think is going to happen in the matter of years when Jesus establishes his Davidic militaristic reign in Jerusalem. And they think, who is going to be the greatest? Now, we know from other passages that these guys um, are kind of obsessed with power. All right, They want to know who's going to have the, the chief seats, who's going to sit at the right and the left hand. In fact, James and John, I believe it was, their mother... <laughs> Even came and asked Jesus this question. Never send your mother to ask those kinds of questions. Uh, come on. So they have a sense of wonder, but their sense of wonder is rooted in, I wonder who is going to be the best in this kingdom to come. Now, Jesus, what he's trying to do here is he's trying to answer this, this power question, this kingdom economics question, by tipping his hand to the reality of what the kingdom of heaven actually is. Because the kingdom of heaven is something that's a little bit hard for us uh, that have outgrown wonder to understand. The kingdom of heaven is not necessarily a physical, tangible place. It's not a faraway land with a castle that looks like the Disney castle where God lives, right? That's not the kingdom of heaven. And sometimes we, we think wrong. We think kingdom of heaven just means heaven, the floaty place that we're going to go to someday, right? Wrong. That's not what the kingdom of heaven is. Jesus said that the kingdom is in the midst of you. Why did he say that? Because he was there. So wherever the king is, that's the kingdom. Wherever the king is worshipped, that's the kingdom. If 
Christ is on the throne here. Right now you are experiencing the kingdom of God. When the power of God is allowed to come through the subjects of God, in the place of God, then the kingdom of God is realized. The spirit of God comes to manifest the kingdom of God. Christians are part of the kingdom because Christians are ruled by the king. Are you following me? Okay? That's the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is trying to find a physical, a natural way to explain a metaphysical reality, which is the kingdom of heaven. And he says, if you're going to get this, if you're going to understand this thing, you need to think like a child. It's almost always good to mature, except for in this area. (laughs) You know, a lot of times we tell people, hey, grow up, right? You need to grow up. Well, here's an instance where you don't. Here's an instance where you need to grow down. I don't know if that's the right grammar, but you get what I'm saying, right? You need to grow down. You need to go back. You need to become like a child. Now, we need to ask the question, first of all, what does this have to do with wonder? Well, the answer to how we restore true wonder is in Jesus' explanation of becoming a child. We need to ask the question, what does Jesus mean by childlikeness? What does he mean by childlikeness, and how is it that that restores our childlike wonder? What is it about the position and the posture and the perspective of a child that gives us special understanding and wisdom into the wonder of God's true work? What is it that we need to see here? So I'm going to give you three things, and then we're going to break into groups and talk. Okay, so three things. If you're a note taker, write them down. Here's the first one. Jesus is trying to say this, I believe. Jesus is getting at this. Number one, forget what you think you know. If you want true wonder, forget what you think you know. Because the way to true wonder is a new birth into a new kingdom. So if you want true wonder, forget what you think you know. True wonder starts when you throw your dissertation, your life's dissertation, in the garbage. You know what a dissertation is? If you get your doctorate, you have to write a dissertation. It's like immense, immense, immense amounts of study and writing. Now, there was a time where you didn't have cloud, and you couldn't store your dissertation on the cloud, right? You would have to hand write it. And if your dissertation got burned, you're starting over. The call to be a disciple, the call to follow Jesus, is a call to burn your life's dissertation. Let me explain. This is what Jesus was trying to tell Nicodemus. He told Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, if you want to follow me, if you want to have truth, you need to what? You need to be born again. What does that mean? And why was that so stunning to Nicodemus? First of all, it didn't make any physical sense to Nicodemus. How can I enter back into my mother's womb, right? But also, what Jesus is asking Nicodemus to do is to take all the letters before his name and throw them in the garbage. I know you think you know a lot, Nicodemus, but the reality is you don't know anything. World knowledge has a way of deceiving us into thinking that we have real knowledge. But the reality is, everything that you think you know when you become a Christian, it needs to go in the garbage. Because everything that you think you know is grown in a twisted fashion. Remember the, remember the tree that had to grow around the rock? It's not that you don't have knowledge. It's not that your knowledge isn't worth it. But in order to have true knowledge, in order to have true wonder, you need to be willing to start over. There's a story arc that happens in some of the best movies. You might pick up on it. Um, or the best books or the best storylines. And usually it goes something like this. There's a, uh, the star of our feature, the star of our, our movie uh, or our book or whatever. Um, he only knows so much about his life. 
But we know because we're reading that there's a huge backstory, right? So think about Luke Skywalker, okay? Uh, anytime you can use a Star Wars analogy, use it, right? Um, so Luke Skywalker, the, the, the story starts out, and he thinks he's just this kid on a dusty planet that, you know, his, his, his whole goal in life is to somehow get into the, uh, the Empire or whatever, or to get into the Resistance, and he doesn't have a clue who he is and what he came from. And then the story gets interesting the second that this random robot shows up and displays Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he realizes in a moment after, you know, that he's part of this way bigger story. And everything changes in that moment, that catalytic moment, where he has to forget everything that he thought he knew because everything has changed now. Let me give you another one. The Matrix, one of my favorite spiritual analogies, right? <laughs> so good. So good. Um, the Matrix. So, so Neo, he thinks he knows the world. He thinks he knows life. And he's just doing his thing, right? And then all of a sudden, something crazy happens. He starts seeing all this. I don't know. It's been like 20 years since I've seen the movie. But something crazy happens. He wakes up, and he finds out that his whole life has been a lie. That he's a human battery, and he gets unplugged as a human battery. And then he has to make this decision, do I go back and live in the lie? His entire life has really been basically in his head. None of it was real. And the reality that he wakes up to is much more terrifying. The reality that he wakes up to is a battle. And he has to decide, am I going to take reality or am I going to take non-reality? You grew up, if you're an adult in here, you grew up, but you grew up in a non-reality. You grew up in a twisted, broken, fallen World, And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, if you want to have true wonder, if you want to know what the kingdom really is, you have to start over. For the Christian, this is called being born again. For Nicodemus, it was what he found too costly, apparently, to do. To say, every, all my credentials, all the letters before my name, my, all my dissertation, it's all going in the garbage, and I'm going to become a spiritual baby, and I'm going to start over and say, God, I don't know anything. Some of you in this room as believers, have done that. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You thought you knew some things. And then the Lord saved you and you realized that you didn't know anything. Your entire reality changed. Why? Because you found ultimate reality. Your eyes were open. That's why Jesus said he's the light. The light switch came on. Jesus is saying here that if you want to know the kingdom of heaven, you have to be a baby. You have to be a spiritual baby. You have to go, I don't know anything. You have to admit that. And for the believer, when we are born again in the spirit, we become new children in the spirit. It's one of my favorite things to watch as a pastor. I love watching new spiritual life. I love watching somebody that, that was just doing life, thinking that they had it figured out, thinking they understood things, and then God hits them like a ton of bricks. They get saved, and all of a sudden, it's like the whole world has changed. Everything looks different. The filter comes off. And the wonder begins to be restored, and they become a new spiritual baby. It's so exciting. It brings life to be part of that. The way to true wonder is new birth into a new kingdom. You need to forget everything that you think you know. And start over. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, But as it, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things, listen, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. What a cool verse. Man, put that in your head and think about it. Just 
The spirit of God that lives within you as a believer is searching the depths of God and translating that directly into your heart and mind so that you might understand the mysteries of an eternal God. Wow, it's good to be a Christian. When you get saved, you are literally born again of the spirit and now you have access to wonder. You realize that this world is broken and limited. There is much more beyond it. Number two, so not only do you need to forget what you think you know, write this down, you need to forget what you think you want. Forget what you think you know and forget what you think you want. The thing about wonder is it always leads to worship, doesn't it? Let me give you an example, okay, back to Yosemite. I'm standing in Yosemite Valley this summer and I'm looking at this amazing place. You know, my immediate next thought is, I wonder how this came. I wonder how this happened. Wow, you know, there's an explanation. These massive glaciers came through or something. and cre- uh, Okay, you know, uh, man, what, where did those glaciers come from? Like, that's just crazy. You're, you are programmed to ask the why question to wonder. When you see something wonderful, you go, what made that? Because whatever made that is probably cooler than the thing, right? Like, whatever made the thing is cooler than the thing. So if I, if I see a really, really, really good piece of artwork, I go like, man, I wonder who... Wonder he made that. You see all this artwork around here, by the way. Uh, my buddy Dan, he works in here. He he paints it all. He he draws it all. He's got a little bio back there. So when you look at that artwork, what's the first thing you think? I wonder who made that. Why? Because you know intrinsically that there is always a mind behind matter. And the more interesting thing isn't the mountain; it's the mind behind the mountain. You know that a mind is much more interesting than the thing the mind made. And when you look at creation, you know a mind made it. I always like to ask people, I always like to mess with them, um, if, if, they're, um, if we're kind of talking about, you know, evolution versus creation. Uh, I always was, I was like to say, well, what's, what's more likely, okay? What's more likely, that, that stuff made a mind or that mind made stuff? Think about it. So evolution is basically saying that stuff made a mind. Is that very likely? Or is it more likely that a mind made stuff? Everything that you experienced was created in the mind of God. He thought it up. We're experiencing a twisted and contorted and a broken version of it. But ultimately, the thing that you're longing for, the thing that your wonder wants, is the source behind the wonder. You need to get to the source. And the mind of God is the source. Romans 11, 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable, nobody even knows what that means, are his ways. Inscrutable, I have to look that up. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for him, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. All things that you see, that you find worth and value when they find their origin in the mind of God. So let me just ensure you that anytime you find pleasure in something in this world, go to the source. If you stop short of the source, you're going to be disappointed. That's why the day after Christmas is the most disappointing day of the year when you're a kid. Because you took the gift and you missed the giver. And the giver is the source of the life. It is the mind behind the creation that you want. Take God's good gifts and you miss God. You're going to be disappointed. 
And that disappointment calcifies and it begins to keep us from being able to experience the wonder of God. If worship is wonder ascribed to a source, then true worship is wonder truly ascribed to its true source. And that's what we need to do as Christians. So you need to forget what you think you know. You need to forget what you think you want. And thirdly, the way to restore your wonder is you need to forget, you need to forget what you think you've done. You need to forget what you think you've done. It's the biggest hurdle usually between you and being saved is earning. You think you've earned something. Right? In our text, Jesus is calling these guys to the posture and the position of a child. Why? Not only because a child is full of wonder, not only because a child is curious, not only because a child can imagine, but because a child is nobody in the culture of the day. Now, we're a very child-centric culture, so it's hard for us to understand. We spend $300 on a car seat, and, uh, and you know, we, we, we buy our kids anything and everything, and we obsess over them. We put them at the center of the universe. But in this day, kids were actually really not that powerful. They didn't really have a voice. It was, they, were the socio, they were the very bottom rung of the socioeconomic scale. They didn't have rights. They didn't have power. They didn't have authority. They didn't have position. They were nobody. They were nothing. They were only thought of, their value was only thought in what they might produce someday. But ultimately, Jesus saying, you need to become like a child. is saying, like, you need to give up all of your hope for position and power, and you need to humble yourself if you're going to see the kingdom of God. Because kingdom economics are upside down. Or are we upside down, right? My friend Rick Boya says, I love it. He says, the true wonder, or, uh, true wonder starts with humility. And Rick Boya says, the key to humility is humiliation. But we don't like that, do we? The key to humility is humiliation. Uh, there's this really interesting pattern in the Bible. Whenever um, a prophet or an apostle or something is carried up before God and they are able to see God, uh, they find themselves in a particular posture. Do you know what it is? face down. They can't help it. They behold God and they find themselves face down. Why? Because true wonder, when you behold true power and you behold true glory, you cannot stand prideful. You find yourself face down. The key to true wonder is humility. The key to true wonder is to say, God, how could you, in all of your glory, in all of your majesty, care about me? So the psalmist is saying in Psalm 8, 3, he says, When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you care for him? <laughs> and the son of man that you care for him. What a good posture of the heart. What a childlike posture to say, I'm totally dependent. I don't know why, God. You, you have so much power. You have so much riches. You have so much worth. Why do you care about me? And the answer is because he's good and because he wants to, because he chooses to. Isn't that great? But the ultimate wonder in the universe is not God's power. The ultimate wonder in the universe is not God's glory. The ultimate wonder in the universe is God's grace. Did you know the angels don't understand it? They're confused by it. They're perplexed by it. The angels get God's glory. They understand God's glory. Any, anyone who can see God's magnitude is going to see God's glory. But what the angels can't understand is why God, why the God of the universe, why the God who could choose any bride that he wants for his son chose the filthy, broken bride of Christ that is the church. 
Why God would save such as me, I don't know. It's a wonder. It's the greatest wonder of the universe. And to be a Christian is to wonder and to marvel at the grace of God that he would choose someone that can do nothing, give nothing, only take. What a good God. His grace is marvelous. Did you know marvel is a synonym of wonder? Did you know awe is a synonym of wonder? We are to be in awe and marvelous, or we are to be in awe and marvel at the grace of God. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, his magnum opus, I believe, on the salvation of God. He says in Ephesians 1 7, in him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. That is to say, out of the abundance and the eternality of the grace of God, he has spent himself lavishly on us, redeeming us. Isn't that wonderful? The gospel is the most wonderful news in the universe that God, the ultimate God, the eternal God, the all-powerful God, the sovereign God, the omniscient God, the omnipotent God would choose to save someone like me. And the only way that I can get that is if I take the posture of a child and recognize that he adopted me for his glory by his grace, which he lavished upon us. Listen to this. God lavished his grace upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. That is the gospel. The gospel is that God, out of his own love and out of his own will, set forth a plan in order to choose you so that he could send his son to pay your sin debt, give you his perfect righteous life, take your sin on the cross, And then he didn't stop there because that would only eliminate sin. That wouldn't deal with a broken, sinful world. So not only did he pay your sin debt, he rose from the dead to be the firstborn of a new creation. And then he gives you his resurrection life through the gift of the Holy Spirit that lives within you if you're a believer. So that when you die, you raise and get a new body for your new soul, for the new heavens and the new earth. Isn't that wonderful? What's better, that or Christmas cookies? Eat the cookies, and as you're eating the cookies, remember the ultimate source of joy in the universe. Remember the gospel, because the gospel has the power to transform. The gospel has the power to save. Not traditions, not settings, not twinkly lights. The gospel is the power of God to transform. I'm so thankful for it. It fills me with wonder. Let me give you some advice for Christmas this year. Don't settle for inferior wonder. Don't do it. There's nothing wrong with the traditions that we all celebrate. Eat some food. Open a present. Buy some junk. Buy somebody something you know they're going to hate. We all do it. I don't know why we do it. Walking around the store with my wife two days ago, we're like, well, we got to get somebody this. How about a spatula? Okay. How about a rug? Sure, they already have a rug. Whatever. Whatever, do that. I don't care. But give God the glory for the gospel because that, the advent of Christmas is that Jesus came to save you. Man, that's exciting. 
Give yourself and give your family the greatest gift that you can possibly give them this year, and that is the gospel. Bring it. Bring it to Christmas. I want you to visualize it in your head. Yeah, okay, open that junk that you don't want. Hey, by the way, can I remind you of something that's really cool? The gift of grace. The gift of God. It's wonderful. You need it. That's what we long for. The reason Christmas is such a painful season for so many, the reason Christmas is the worst time of the year for so many, is because they're looking to the world to be what only the Father can be. I know it may not be what you want it to be. I know maybe it, wasn't, it isn't what it was when your kids were kids. I know maybe some of you have lost family members. Some of you have lost friends. And Christmas is a reminder of the emptiness there. Can I, can I say that's very real and it's very valid? And can you take that and make it a reminder to press into the eternal love of God? And let that fill that cavity. Let that fill that hole. Let Christmas drive you to the, the satisfying riches of God's kindness. That's the truth of wonder. I <laughs> love you, Chuck. <laughs> I love that you sit right there. Pump me up. So many of the things that we want in Christmas remind us of the things we truly want. We want this, this kind, beneficent, jolly figure who's going to love us unconditionally and bring us gifts. Okay, that's fine. But you know what that really represents? Represents Christ. Okay, I'm going to say something, and I want you to not do something for me, Okay. I'm going to tell you something that me and my family do because it's a decision we made, and I don't want you to make it a legalistic thing and say, well, that's what Pastor Sam does. Maybe that's what we should do. Shoot. Okay. We don't tell our kids that Santa is real. We just don't. Why? Because I love my kids too much to give them anything less than the real wonder of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to lie to them. I'm not going to lie to them about something that's stupid and fake and false when I can give them the real substance of the wonderful Christ who's sovereign. Okay, now if you tell your kids Santa's real, I'm, it's okay. You'll grow. No, I'm just kidding. So, Christmas, what'd you say? Oh, okay. Okay. Christmas is... The season of light, and that light is meant to remind us that the light has come into the world. Christmas is a season of wonder. Let's make it about him. Amen? Okay. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And some of you guys are new, and don't freak out on me, but we do things really weird here. One of the weird things we do is we actually ask Christians to talk to each other. And I know that's strange, because usually at church, all you have to do is shut up, listen, and give some money, and then you can leave. But we're going to ask a little bit more of you, because we actually think you have something to offer the other believers in this room. Holy Spirit lives within you, and we want to hear what you have to say. Maybe you're not a Christian. We want to hear your questions. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to interact with you. We believe church happens when we turn and look at each other. You're the church. Church isn't you come sit and listen to me. Okay, that's not church. Church is when we look at each other. So that's what we're going to do. It's going to be great. So normally what happens is uh, I give you four questions, you break into groups, and I just kind of turn you loose to do it. We're going to do something a little bit different this time. So let me close us in prayer. And Jesus, we just thank you so much for the wonder of Christmas. I pray that this year as we take part in these festivities, we take part in these traditions, that, Lord, they would just ignite our hearts for the gospel, that they would remind us of the substance behind them. Father, we invite you into this room right now as we break into small groups and have some discussion. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't feel pressure to, to be fake or say Christianese or to sound profound, but that we would just be honest in our discussion and our conversation, Lord, and that you would lead us through a time where we could encourage one another for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.